In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Faith cannot be forced. God draws the willing to himself. And it is God alone, himself, who makes the willing willing. Jesus did not come to earth to search the world for willing hearts. He came to have mercy on sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost by gaining for them and offering to them eternal salvation to people whose chief predicament in life consisted precisely in this, that they were not willing to accept it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. It is as Jesus later lamented with tears over his beloved city, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus draws the willing to himself. It is God alone who makes us willing. Let us review how he does this. We must confess that faith itself, willingness itself, is not of ourselves, but a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. I want my sins forgiven because I have sinned against God. You want yours forgiven. I want peace with God, because on my own, my heart is at war with him. That's what you want too. I want his approval and favor, ruling my heart and conscience. This is what you want. That's why you're here. What marvelous wants and wills we have. Think about it. What amazing desires we have within us to want what God could not find on earth, to want to have a will toward God that God had to create in our hearts in order to draw it to himself. And couple this with the wonderful promise of Jesus. All that the Father gives me will come to me. 
And the one who comes to me, I will know wise cast out. We come to Jesus this morning because the Father has given us to him. The Father has given us to him by working in our hearts the will for what only Jesus can give. We want forgiveness because the Father has filled us with this desire. We come to him who calls us to himself and look what he promises. He will by no means cast us away. He will by no means shame us for wanting what we do not deserve. He will give. He will give for his own sake and never deny us. He cannot deny himself. He cannot deny his Father. He wants what his Father wants. He wants and invites and loves what his Father has given him. And he will by no means, in no wise, cast us out. What an excellent truth. It befits us then to examine this truth and see how it is that God has taught us to want what we have no business wanting, to desire what he teaches us and commands us to ask for. How does God make the unwilling willing? Jesus makes the unwilling willing by teaching them what the Father gave him to teach. He taught sinners to despise and regret and hate their sin and to find themselves completely lost and destroyed by it. Those who are not willing to receive God's grace and forgiveness are unwilling for one simple reason, because they are hostile to God's grace and forgiveness. Those who are unwilling to come to where Jesus has mercy on sinners, those who are unwilling to learn from God, where God's word is preached in its truth and purity, are those who stoned the prophets. And if they don't actually cast any stones, yet they walk on by while the gospel the prophets proclaim is maligned, despised, and ignored on the other side of the road. Lukewarm apathy is even worse than burning hatred. Those who despise mercy are those who do not want to be told to stop doing what they're doing. They don't want to be saved by grace. They don't want to be saved at all. They want what they imagine their own righteousness is worth. Jesus says elsewhere, He who is not with me is against me. There is no neutral ground. In order to learn not to hate God and despise his grace, we must learn to hate our sin and despair of ourselves. We cannot love Jesus if we do not hate our sin. We must learn not to judge God for punishing wickedness as though he acted unfairly when he threatened to. We must learn instead to agree with God for punishing wickedness and furthermore agree with God when he finds wickedness worth punishing in us. He who sent his son not to condemn but to save does not want to punish us. He himself leads the angels in rejoicing when, instead of cursing God for finding fault in us, we repent to God for our many sins against him. What joy he takes in forgiving us. He wants us very much to want this. God makes the unwilling willing by showing sinners their sin, by putting them in conscious and obvious need of divine mercy. In order to do this, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to do what the prophet Isaiah calls his alien work. 
his strange and unusual act, Isaiah 28, 21. A simple way of describing this work is that God does what he does not like to do. He does what does not come naturally to him, what he takes no delight in and swears by himself that he doesn't. He crushes sinful hearts with the judgment of his holy law. He convicts us of our sin and leaves us conscience-stricken and helpless and guilty and unsaved and damned before him. This is his strange, his alien work. It's foreign to him. He does this work not to satisfy some personal urge for vengeance or because he likes doing it, but in order to prepare us for his greater work, his proper work, the work he enjoys doing and that comes very naturally to him. This is his work of mercy. It is the work of consoling burdened consciences by giving them peace in the forgiveness of their sins. This is what God delights in doing it is what God wants us to want. He prepares us to want it. He teaches us our sin, and he shows us our Savior. Now these are the thoughts and intents of his heart. When St. Paul tells us in our epistle lesson to be of one mind, he is, of course, speaking of agreeing in Christian doctrine. We are to agree, which requires, of course, that we learn together, hear together, and say amen together, that we gather in person, listen to the gospel preached, and say, that's what I believe, that's my faith. But when St. Paul tells us to be of one mind, he is telling us to be of this mind that we have just described. When he tells us not to set our mind on high things, but to associate with the humble, he isn't simply giving us some recipe for how to be a decent person, now, he's teaching us to learn wisdom in the only place where wisdom is shown. And the mercy that Christ shows to those who are cast down. He descended from the heights to humble himself for us. So his apostle tells us to know God, not by what we have cleverly figured out or supposed about right and wrong, but to know God as he has made himself known in mercy towards sinners. We know what God delights in by revealing, in re, delights in revealing by hearing the gospel together, by confessing our sins together, and receiving with one another in common the same robe of righteousness that presents us together as holy and pleasing to God through faith in Jesus. For there is no righteousness in which I can stand before God that he does not also freely offer you. This is what God delights in. There is no righteousness in which I hope to stand before God that is not found in Christ. When we take it upon ourselves to punish those who hurt us, whether we violently break the fifth commandment or simply hold a grudge in our heart, when we do this, not only will we never satisfy justice, but we only enrage the one who did us wrong. We do that alien work of God, but we do it as something very natural to us, something very sinful. If we take vengeance, our anger is never quenched, and our enemy is never brought to repentance. What are we unable to do, however? That is what God is able to do. 
He is able both to satisfy justice and quench his anger. He is able to work sorrow and contrition in the hearts of those who have done us wrong and who have done him wrong. This is what God wants to do. He wants to overcome evil with good. It is what God wants us to want. This is the mind of Christ. We are to be of the same mind because God has first had this mind toward us. Christ bore all God's judgment on the cross. The demands and curses of the law were not lessened for his sake. Rather, for our sake, he bore the most exacting sentence that sought out in the depth of every human heart every last shred of sin and iniquity so that he might bear it all. So what do you see in your neighbor? What do you see in your brother? What still deserves punishment that Christ has not borne in order to reconcile the world to himself and he reconciles you so that we might entrust vengeance and more so so that we might entrust this to God that he might work repentance and reconciliation in the hearts of those who have done us wrong. Jesus innocently suffered evil for us. Bearing all evil, he retained his innocence. He did not curse those whose sins he bore, he blessed, he forgave. He overcame evil with such goodness that never entered the mind of man, and now his mind is ours. And this goodness has entered our minds By forgiving us our sins, we are enabled to flee to him when the guilt of our own sin defiles us. And having peace with God, we are enabled to flee to him when the sins of others offend us. And find the heart that he wants us to have, the heart that forgives, the heart that desires to be at one with those who have wronged us. We are enabled to want mercy shown to us, and so we are enabled to show mercy to others. God exposes sin and utterly demoralizes sinners by means of the law. God covers sin and gives comfort and peace to sinners by means of the gospel. We call this great truth the law and the gospel. The law and the gospel must be distinguished from each other, but they both must be preached. The preaching of the law serves the preaching of the gospel. God does the unpleasant and foreign work of making us afraid of him in order that he might teach us to seek him in Christ his son. In Jesus, we might learn not to be afraid of God, but to consent to his will. And how? We are enabled to consent to the will of God who is rightly displeased with us because in Jesus Christ his son he has revealed that his will is good and gracious toward us. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God does not want to encounter you through Moses. He must, but he doesn't want to. He knows what Moses exposes. But you must listen to Moses. Through Moses... God shows you what what death your sins deserve in order to show you the life that Jesus died to that Jesus died to give you. He himself bore all wrath. He died. He rose again. Only those who are sick of their sin seek the help of this physician. Only sinners who know their sin want what Jesus wants to give. Knowledge of your sin, of course, however, is is simply not enough. 
feeling guilty will never atone for your sins. It's like knowing that you have leprosy. Leprosy is the perfect picture of sin. Leprosy is death while living. It is a death sentence. By it, we recall well the warning of God in Eden, which is best translated, in the day that you eat of it, dying, you will die. That is, you will die to death. That's leprosy. That's sin. Yet even with such thorough knowledge of his sickness, what does our leper say to Jesus today? Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Such is faith. Such is faith that only God can begin and only God can perfect. Faith appeals to and casts itself onto the will of the Lord. But faith is no venture or risk, if you want to. No, faith is certain. Faith doesn't hazard the distant hope that Jesus might be willing. No, faith expects humbly what Jesus says without delay. I am willing. Be cleansed. What good would knowing your sin, knowing your leprosy, knowing the true cause of your death be? What good would such introspection be if these words were not spoken? I am willing, Jesus says. He is willing. He wants to make clean. He wants to take all our impurities into himself and bear them away by his own death on the cross. As he said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down willingly by myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. His power comes from his willing obedience. He is willing all the way to the cross. Knowing this, knowing the extent of Jesus' willingness to save us, we are able to consent to his will. We will find no willingness in ourselves, either to suffer in life, to bear our crosses, or even to admit our faults to God. We will find no willingness in ourselves unless we know first Jesus' willingness. It is as we prayed from Psalm 36, with you as the fountain of life, in your light we see light. We see light only in his light. We find our willingness only in his willingness. We have life only by drinking from the fountain of his mercy, which flows from his wounded side. We are able to use the law rightly, therefore, only when we see how he uses the law rightly. And he uses it to expose sin so that he might make haste to forgive it, to show you where he has borne it. And so he heals this man. He cleanses him and tells him, to go to the priest and offer what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now consider this magnificent testimony. What do we owe Moses? What do we owe the law? Do this if you're ever cleansed. Do this if you're ever forgiven. Do this, do this, but then the law gives no power for you to do it. Moses tells you what to do if you're cleansed but he has no power through the command of the law to make you clean. Moses requires what we must do if we are forgiven, if we are given new life, 
The law can command, 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 but it can't give. Only Jesus can do this. How often did lepers actually carry out what Moses commanded in Leviticus 14? I don't know if they ever did. But this command in Leviticus almost served as a special kind of prophecy that Moses would give such a needless command since no one was ever going to be made clean. And yet he sets up a sacrifice that they must give in the event that they were cleaned. And then Jesus comes and finally cleanses someone. Such is how we use the law lawfully. We let it condemn us. We let it demand. We watch it produce nothing good in us but wrath and resentment that God would condemn us. And then we find Jesus who comes willingly to heal us. We are not worthy for him to come under our roof, but he speaks a word and is eager to show how willing he is to help. And he forgives us. He does so willingly. And so he produces in us a will that God is so delighted to see. A will that brings a testimony to the law that says, Jesus did this for me, not you. Here is our testimony to the priests. Here is our testimony to our conscience. Here is our testimony to the whole wide world. That whatever thanks and obedience we are able to offer to God from a willing heart, we are only able to do because Jesus has made us clean. This is what he gives to us. He gives us willing hearts by revealing to us the willingness of his own heart. Let us pray. Thou holy fire, comfort true, Grant us the will thy work to do, and in thy service to abide, let trials turn us not aside. Lord, by thy power prepare each heart, and to our weakness strength impart, that bravely here we may contend, through life and death, to thee our Lord ascend. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen.